Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Cheslin Pierre-Paul about the powerful intersection between healing, rebellious leadership, and cross-people economic empowerment. Cheslin Pierre-Paul, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Happy to be here. I am so excited for this conversation. I say that pretty much every episode, but this time, like, I really am super duper excited um, because you focus on so many of the topics and areas that I'm very passionate about. For anyone who listens to the podcast, you know, of course, we talk extensively about people-centered organizations, organizational leadership, people management processes and practices. But we also talk from time to time about social impact related issues. And that is something that is a little bit more tangential to what I focus on in my day-to-day, but it's something I've been super passionate about and interested in and love to explore and spend time um, working in that area uh, ever since I was in grad school. And everything about what you're about, I think fits really with those passions and interests. So I'm super excited for the conversation. We're going to be exploring the powerful intersection between healing, rebellious leadership, and cross-people economic empowerment. Uh, I know that's a bit of a mouthful. We'll dissect that a little bit and get into the pieces of it, Uh, but it's going to be a fun conversation. Cheslin Pierre-Paul is a transformational coach and social impact expert on innovation, economic empowerment, and rebellious leadership. She works with entrepreneurs, artists, activists, and large organizations who want their global thought leadership to carry an impact and a capacity for social transformation that are radically heightened and determining in their industry-making essence and agency. Uh, I mean, it's your bio is quite poetic. Uh, I love it. I love everything about it. Um, Before we dive on into the conversation, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your personal background, personal context, how you got into this space, uh, and then we can dive on into the dialogue. Yeah, I guess what I could add to that is I feel, you know, I've lived many different lives simultaneously and also sequentially. So when I look at my background, nothing would have predisposed me to be doing the work that I do right now. And I love that element of disruption as well. It's very congruent with how I envision, you know, social impacts and all those things. But formerly I was um, trained in languages Um, and languages have been the portal through which I've had access to a keener understanding of social justice, interestingly enough. Um, And my background also is my parents, you know, beautiful souls, um, political refugees came to Canada uh, from Haiti for Dominican Republic. And now I can look at my childhood as a space, a forum for political discovery and having a different way of understanding, you know, what it means to be seen, 
the politics of accessibility and um, how some people are seen as more legitimate than others due to their presentation, race, gender, and all that stuff. So I was soused with all of those political conversations as a child and I took it as a norm. And then whenever I would re-engage the world around me in Canada, it was a very interesting dichotomy from where I'm coming from culturally in terms of how my parents have helped me grow my consciousness politically and culturally. And then the reality of the world that I was born into, right? So it's being straddling different cultural lines, different languages, um, and then looking at how there's so much that can be gained from, you know, translating one world into another one. And so that's been the starting point of my internal revolution. And then in my studies, I just look at it as an extension of my conversation with myself, right? Because for me, the default setting of my world has always been multilinguality. So when I would come into institution of monoculture and a one way of doing one thing, it was the exact opposite of how my, you know, my truth and the, the reality of my world, um, you know, came to express itself. So I guess that carried into the business right now, but it's been a beautiful arc from language to nonprofit to activism to socialpreneurship today. And then, you know, the, the coaching and the consulting practice. So that's a little bit more of what I could add as a means to situate people a bit more in terms of where I'm coming from, where I've been and where I am today. Yeah. Oh, I, I love it. I love it so much. Um, well, let's dive on in. Uh, as I was introducing the topic, there was a lot embedded there. So let's start to pull it apart a little bit and dissect it. Um, the intersection between healing, rebellious leadership, cross people, economic empowerment. Let's take each of those in turn and define those a little bit. Um, so first, uh, healing, we can talk, well, I, I think we know what healing is. We can talk about that in relationship to the others. Let's talk about rebellious leadership first, then cross people, economic empowerment. And then we can talk about um, where healing comes in and how those three uh, intersect and, and what we can make of it. Totally. Yeah, I love that. So starting with the rebellious aspect. And there's a quote from Janet Mugg that comes to mind. I love her so much. Um, and then she would say, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, this idea that we're born into systems, particularly as disenfranchised or racialized or marginalized others, like we're born into systems that are intent on our destruction, right? And so that's how she puts it. And to me, the act of being is already rebellious enough. But then when you're being on purpose, more of yourself is the act of supreme, you know, rebellious against the system. And concretely, what it looks like is everything I was told I shouldn't be or I couldn't be then I utilize that as a way forward for me to gain, to generate more impact in regards to the conversation I want to integrate and I'm called to be in. And to do so, understanding that, you know, maybe two, three generations ago, that wouldn't have been a possibility. And understanding that you take the thing that you are told not to be to create beauty, poetry, resistance, um, and rebellious, uh, you know, rebellious energy at the end of the day. So for me, it concretely looks like a few many different things, you know, um, I've learned, let's say, seven languages, and I'm fluent in five nowadays, and I could tell that in each language I've learned, I've been told I was never going to be smart enough or strong enough, or I could never make it, and I manage my way through this to find my own element of mastery in each, and now I get to teach those languages and coach people through them, so that's also one, you know, one layer of rebellious energy, and then taking it a step further, um, how can I teach, let's say, or coach people through the learning of the one language in a way that adds another dimension of 
for balanced leadership because it's the idea that once you've come to the other hand of your own journey, right? Um, from learner to teacher, but always, always a learner, it never stops. Um, how can you make it so that you become quickly obsolete so that that person is fully empowered and doesn't need you in the same capacity that they did? So that's also part for me of the leadership piece that comes together with the rebellious element is this idea that it's not about my ego being entertained for its own glory. It's we are two complete souls and beings merging and crossing paths. And there's a gift that I can give to the person, but there's also something I'm called on to receive. And so originally it could be that I had a certain amount of contribution I could make in terms of coaching you through your process, social impact or languages. But my interest is in, as we grow along the way, that the way we relate to each other also shifts. So I don't want, to, I don't want it to be a hierarchical relationship. I want to grow and be challenged equally, right? And so that's also part of the leadership component is whatever community we're called to serve, whatever community of practice we are integrated in, the question is, how can I be obsolete in the role that I have today? That's also how you measure impact because or else we're creating a codependency, but we're not shifting into interdependent states. And that's where I want to go for myself. So, so that would yeah. be my breakdown of the first year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's wonderful. And several things as you were uh, dissecting that a bit that came, stuck out to me. Uh, first, I really like your approach to leadership. Uh, there has to be embedded into it this idea that we, we, it's not about us. It's about the people we're serving, right? It, we're, we're trying to empower people and we're in a constant state of learning and growing and helping others to fulfill their potential. And for a time, that means they need some handholding. They need scaffolding. They need us to help them. But that time, the time comes where we have to, you know, let go of the bike and let them ride off on their own. We, we have to let them fly free. Um, and if we don't, we stunt their growth. And it, it, it does stroke our ego to have people constantly coming to us, asking for help, asking for our insights, whatever. But if we don't help others to develop that capacity within themselves, then we're stunting their growth. We're not empowering them. Uh, we're, we're just trying to reinforce existing systems and to uphold our authority, our, our positionality in relation to them. And it, it becomes an unhealthy dynamic. So I think that piece is really well said. Uh, another thing that stuck out to me as you were talking, you know, with the rebellious leadership aspect um, is this idea of conscientious dissent or loyal dissent. Um, we're, we exist within systems. Those systems don't always work well. They don't work uh, equitably. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here saying this as a middle-aged, straight, cisgender, white dude. Um, so I have a lot of privilege. And, you know, you're a woman of color. And, you know, we come from different backgrounds. We have different privileges or lack thereof. We, but we exist within the system. Then the question becomes, how do we help to, to move the needle in fixing and, and making these systems more healthy. In some cases, we have to tear them down and rebuild them um, from scratch. In other cases, perhaps we can we can uh, make adjustments to the existing system. Um, but we can't do that if if all we ever do as a leader is is maintain help to maintain the status quo and uphold um, the existing power structures. Uh, that's, I think, how many leaders see themselves, especially when you're in middle management within an organization. 
a lot of leaders see themselves as their role is to support and quote unquote sustain the the hierarchy and the the existing power structures and to make sure that the the marching orders of the higher ups um, make it down to the people that that they uh, lead or supervise. I don't believe that. I mean, th th to a certain extent, yes, organizations exist to self-perpetuate or uh, systems exist to, and bureaucracies exist um, for stability purposes. But a good leader not only has to help maintain some level of stability, but they have to be willing to engage in conscientious dissent and loyal dissent and push back and challenge the uh, unhealthy practices, um, policies, procedures, the cultural components, other systemic um, elements that aren't serving people in an equitable way. Perhaps there was a time and a place for that policy practice and procedure um, in a different day and age. Perhaps it, it made sense, but today it doesn't. That means we need to question it. We need to get rid of it and up, 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 uh, holding the status quo, uh, there's there's nothing um, inherently uh, morally courageous about that, and if, and in fact, it it usually takes more courage to disrupt and to challenge mm -hmm. and to question, right? So I, I think all of that, you know, that's what I aspire to. I'm sure I'm not great at it, and I want to be an ally. I want to be supportive. I want to help others who are marginalized, who who may not have the same sort of sorts of privileges that I do. Um, and I'm sure I'm not perfect at it, but, but I want to be that rebellious leader. I want to be someone that people know is a person of integrity who I'm not going to put my position, my ego above the needs of the people that I serve. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. And there's so many great things that you mentioned as well um, that really speak profoundly to my ethos, you know, in regards to that um, is this idea that often you know, like the complex is your industrialist, right? You're put into a function and then there's oftentimes this expectation that you're here, as you said, to sustain the state of what is. And it's a very scary place to be 
when you look for disruption in that, but not unnecessary disruption. It's an, you know disruption for a purpose in order for you to challenge something that is bigger to yourself to shift outside of its own narrative and to evolve. It means that originally you have to embody that for yourself. And so the first question I will ask leaders oftentimes is when you look at the culture that is sustained through you and with you organizationally, you know, how much are you interfaced with other narratives and discourses and paradigms that are not reiterative of your own? Like how much of something that is divergent from your way of functioning are you soused in and with on the daily? And it can take form in different ways. It could be different perspectives, different disciplines, um, you know, and then also carried by different voices, you know, racially, gender-wise languages as well. Um, and it starts with where you are. As you said, it's always a process and it's not about perfection, but it's about seeking um, the perfecting of the self, you know, consistently. And there's never a right or wrong way insofar as there's a commitment to it. And then the more you create a support system around you, the more people can see blind spots that you're not privy to. And that also allows you to outsource kind of the capability to see yourself fully, to understand, okay, those are my targeted areas of development. And for me, you know, was looking around me and looking, okay, am I in a sea of sameness or am I truly part of the change I want to instigate? Um, and often that's a big wake up call for people looking at the profile of clients you have, uh, your employees, the higher ups, like what distribution of holistic representation of human possibility do you have around yourself? Or is it more of an extension of who you are, right? And that, it bruises the ego at times, but it's also a beautiful way to be the change that you want to see, you know, you know transpiring in your closest virginity. Um, and then from that place, if you can incarnate from a place of integrity, that element of disruption, it's going to be much more a smoother transition for you to take that disruption outwards and to have it be interspersed through an organization. Because when people come to you with questions, you can speak to it on a personal level, you know, and it's not just a tech, the technicality of it, but it's truly on the cellular level, I understand where you're coming from. And those are the methods or those are the things that I use to supplement my growth and my shift in my own paradigm. So that's the first thing. And as you said, there's also this broken down culture of hierarchy right, the hierarchization of voices. Um, and in different projects that I do, I work with different organizations, I adore co-creation and co-leadership. So this idea that let's say I'm on a project and we are four co-leads and we're the main uh, ones for that and we're driving it, but everybody is equal in their leadership. It's just that we're coming at it from a different angle. That's also very interesting. And I can tell you that the best collaborations I've had in my life to date they're born out of, you know, horizontal leadership structure and co-creation. And the thing, though, is to make sure that you have the right people for this with you, right? It's not for everyone, but it's just helped me grow tremendously because it's, again, this idea of having people seeing your blind spots with such lucidity that it becomes, you know, very apparent to you. And you go, how come I never thought of this before? Um, and it's also from a place of we're all very intersectionally complementary. So I have my expertise as very, you know, about social justice through language, but then I'm working with people who have a completely different experience from my own. And so we're not competing for supremacy on who is the leader, 
uh, there's nothing to compete because we're so dissimilar, I wouldn't know where to start in trying to, you know, uh, hype my ego here. Um, and there's also the sense that we are profoundly aligned in regards to our commitment to social justice and understanding the privilege of the visibility we carry. And also we're not here for ourselves, we're here to carry voices that are in our own, right? So I feel it's a beautiful dynamism that we have because it's not a binary, we're not just two voices, we're you know, um, a micro community of voices. Um, and so we were very complementary to each other and the projects are just stupendous. And what I love with co-creation is you may know why you're doing this, but you never know what it's gonna end up looking like. Um, because it starts with, I have a setup for how I do meetings to, oh, we're gonna do a digital summit together. Because it's always about what is the community telling us that we need to prioritize? And then how can we add more depth and value to that by pulling from the divergence of our group leadership wise. And that makes it something that would always be different from my initial vision, because I come from my perspective, what I'm used to, and then I'm just bumping shoulders with people who come from a completely different reality, right? And so that's when a beautiful exercise in internal and then communal disruption for me on the scale of a very small team of leader, but it's always in a spirit of co-creation. Like there's not e-leader, like we're all co-leads on the project. And I've been working with my collective like this and it's been beautiful. And I've carried that energy forward into other parts of my practice, you know? But it's always this idea of it's rebellious because it defies how leadership is construed as. It's rebellious because we're here to find better ways to get out of the way the voices that we want to be more self-determined. Um, and then it's rebellious because the format is always evolving. Because every time we come back to the team, we all have our own lives and practices that are you know, external to the project. And so we always come back replenished with a different vision. And from project to project and year to year, it's always like in a state of flux, you know? And it's a beautiful ground for, for disruption in a positive way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's amazing. And, and you already started to touch on, I think, in, in many of your comments, um, this idea of cross-people economic empowerment. Also, the notion of, um, you know, how we can decolonize leadership equity. And, and really, you've been talking about servanthood um, and how, how we can foster that within organizations. So let's dig into that just a little bit more. Um, what exactly do you mean by cross-people economic empowerment? Um, how can we decolonize leadership equity and servanthood? And then I want to talk just a little bit about next-gen global thought leadership in this space. Amazing. Sure. So I will give you the example. For example, um, I've worked with different organizations and nonprofits and activist groups, and they can have a target community that they're there to serve. But what I've noticed is um, it's as if the honest to advance is located in and on that community, and we're not leveraging other people that are in a different position to help that are not part of that group, right? So I've been part in spaces where it's um, for specific Indigenous communities or for Black you know, community members only. And I go, well, that's half of the equation because we don't live in a silos, right? Um, and so I believe that when it comes down to the leadership, we want to make sure the leadership is organic and specific to that group, that they are the change makers of how they want to steward the advancement for their own community. But when it comes down to the implementation of how we're gonna do that vision is where I see allyship as the instrument to the self-determination of specific peoples. But I've seen, you know, it's not seen as, um, 
not necessarily organic or self-evident solution for most because there's this misconception that if we integrate other voices, our leadership is going to be hijacked, right? And so that, that's why it's very important to have clear boundaries and understand what does allyship mean like and look like for you? And, and so far as you're clear, you're just adding more people to feed your own clarity. But what I've seen happen sometimes is confusion internally, then you're feeding the confusion by adding other voices. And so it's making sure that internally you're strong um, and then you can have you know, social impact experts or other voices to help you groom that strength internally. But I feel the whole point is for you to live hopefully in a world where we don't have to prioritize your voice because we already equalized you know, the system, we're not there yet. But if that's part of the goal, we can only ask people from one community to be the executioner of their, you know, the implementation of their project and being the leaders and being this and that. So it's creating different boundaries for where self-determination exists, how to honor that, and how to also force recognition of our self-determination by people who aren't us because or else there is a certain capacity for change that becomes ghettoized. Because if only I recognize my own agency and nobody else, am I truly being part of a social transformation that extends beyond my world? And I don't think so, right? And so for me, when I look at allyship, it's cross people, make it an understandable that we can be advocates for our own self-determination and for our collective self-determination. And there's no inherent contradiction. It's all about being clear on which conversations are we going to you know, invite our allies into and which conversations are only for our own ears to, to have. And that's the little paradigm here, right? But I do, I've seen it happen and that's my strongest belief and desire because I've lived it, I've embodied it and I just want that to be more disseminated. We can have both because if ultimately it's only your people only, then change is also going to be delineated as a form of limitation for your people only. And everybody else is gonna go about their business unchanged, irrespective of however self-determined you may be, right? So it's having um, a harmonization of both. And again, one of my favorite thing is this idea of um, disruptive harmony, right? So self-determination on one hand, and then understanding when we want to implement allyship, but also on our own terms. And that's very profound. So. For me, it's this understanding that you can be an advocate for another people's advancement in ways that also services your own, right? So this idea of reciprocity and not because it's out of calculation, but it's just a smart move. And when you look at targeted universalism and this understanding that when you, um, you know, up-level the quality condition-wise of a certain people, everybody in the system also benefits from that. So when you take care of the you know, unprotected classes of society, then all the protected classes also gain from it. Typically what happens is we you know, give more uh, access and contributions and resources to the protected classes. And so it never has an impact that is, that is scalable. So this is doing a bit of the reverse engineering on that level. Yeah, um, yeah and also the idea that anti-oppression it's not a concession from those who are privileged to those who aren't, because that's a big misconception, but it's understanding that you are also being impoverished even in your own privilege. You're not seeing it. And so once you have that awareness and then you shift outside of your bubble, that's where you're gonna be truly living in a state of abundance. But looking at abundance and activism 
And socialpreneurship is not something we hear a lot. So that's also why I'm really keen on, we need to talk about this differently. I love it. I, I feel like we could go on and on and on for like the next three hours. Unfortunately, I only have you for a few more minutes. Yes. Um, so before we close, I did want to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about what you're currently working on, and then give us the final word on the topic for today, perhaps focusing on what next gen global leadership looks like. Amazing. Sure. Um, so I could say, I will start with that one and then where people can find me. So next gen, you know, global thought leadership look like, we know what we discussed. So when you look at the industry makers, do we truly have a full scale representation of what true seminal diversity is? And it's not just race or gender physical presentation, but if you remove the body, the voices are heard, are they truly challenging of one another? Are we hearing the same discourse, but filtered through different bodies, right? So for me, next-gen global thought leadership is getting used to having leaders that speak different languages. It doesn't have to be Anglo-centric. And it's also different disciplines that are centered, like languages next to AI, next to entrepreneurship, next to activism, right? And it's also different perspectives, different ways of rethinking the same paradigm that is dominant in each of those specific industries. So it's a very much of a, you know, 360 way of rehabbing what it means to be human and looking at anti-oppression as the best way to do that as a global thought leader. So that would be my take on next gen, you know, global thought leadership. Um, and in regards to what next, right? Um, so if we want to keep the conversation alive, um, I have my website. So it's just my name, www.cheslin.com. So C-H-E-S-L-I-N-E. Um, then also on Instagram, I'm really active there. So my handle is Cheslin PP. So C-H-E-S-L-I-N-E-P-P. -P. Um, so those would be the main ones, honestly. And in regards to what's coming up, then I have my summit is the International Anti-Colonial Summit 2021. And it's basically more of those conversations. And I created the platform for the conversations I wish were being had on a much more, you know, um, higher level visibility. And I'm doing what my inner internal disruption is telling me to do. So I'm having conversations every day for two weeks with people that hail from different disciplines that speak different languages. So each interview is bilingual, English plus another one. And we look at how can we better decolonize our discipline as a means to create healing, disruption, investment, and innovation. So in a nutshell. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today for all of the the great insights and wisdom you've shared I think you, you have there has been so much um, packed into what you've said I think this this will be an episode that people will want to listen to several times to make sure that that we can think about these things in the depth necessary that we can then have them impact our personal hearts our souls and then allow us to move into how we uh interface with our organizations, with our people and our leadership roles um, to be better stewards of that um, responsibility and the opportunities we have to develop those around us. Cheslin, thank you so much for joining me today. I encourage listeners to reach out to get connected to find out more about what you can do for them. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.
We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.